Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page where you do get early access. Link will be down in the show notes. It has been another long, very full week in the news cycle. And this episode, I'm going to handle this a little differently than I usually do. Um, I usually try to do this chronologically, but I think... For this episode, we're going to handle things kind of in relevance and importance. So I want to go ahead and start kind of where we left off on the last episode, which is the Democratic debate. Um, I did give that a tone episode. It's the one before this. If you want to stop this, go listen to that. I give my expanded thoughts on that absolute dumpster fire of a debate. But numbers did come in. Right after I was done recording that episode, I found the viewership numbers, and they are quite, quite impressive. Um, 20 million people watched on television, plus an additional 13.5 million people watched on either NBCNews.com or MSNBC.com, because they were the host network for that. So overall, you've got, let's see... 33, almost 34 million people tuned into that debate, which still kind of begs the question that I made when I did my recap of the debate, which is, what the hell did anybody think about that debate who hadn't seen any of the previous debates? Because these numbers are definitely larger than any of the other ones. The only ones I can think that come close were the numbers for the very first Democratic debate back in June of last year, the first night of the first debate. I want to say that clocked in at 27 million people. So obviously this is significantly more, but like I said, this is the time of year where people are going to start paying attention to this stuff. So anyway, wanted to start with that just as a way of illustrating that, yes, these debates are going to maybe become more important, although... Given the events of the past couple of days, um, <laughs> I mean, we have another debate coming up this Tuesday, and then the next debate after that isn't until, I forget what day in March, but it's like mid-March, and I'm predicting that by the time we get to that debate, there there may not even be a point in having a debate at that point, because I'm thinking by Super Tuesday, this is going to be wrapped up. Which brings us to the Nevada caucus. Um, All of the votes are not done being calculated yet. And I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon, the 23rd, which this is ridiculous. How long does it take you guys to count caucus votes? But honestly, it kind of really doesn't matter all that much because as of this recording, let's see, CNN is showing as 53% of the precincts in, um, Let me tell you what the popular vote is for these candidates for the final round of caucus voting. Bernie Sanders won. Popular vote, 24,122. Second place is Joe Biden, which is incredibly surprising. I did not expect Joe Biden to be even in the top three at all, let alone to be in second place. But I will give him that second place with an asterisk because his popular vote count 11,087. The drop-off here is massive between Bernie and everybody else. So you've got Biden in second with that 11,087. In third, you've got Pete Buttigieg. 
he's got 10,750. Now, bear that in mind. Those two numbers are not super close to each other. Like, I don't think Buttigieg is going to make up enough ground to take the number two spot away from Joe. But obviously, close enough to where if one of those men were not in that caucus race, the other would have gotten that man's votes, I do think. And in the Nevada caucus, they do do like ranked choice. So you have your first choice, second choice, third choice. And it seems like coming out of that, a lot of people who picked Bernie as their first choice did pick Biden as their second choice. So there is something to be said there. So Biden did way better than I think anybody expected him to, and probably including Joe Biden himself. So second, third, Pete Buttigieg. In fourth, Elizabeth Warren. Now again, Buttigieg got 10,750 of the popular vote. Warren is the next one up with 6,925. Again, not as sharp a drop-off as between number one and number two, but that's a pretty significant drop-off between number three and number four, and it definitely doesn't bode well for Elizabeth Warren. And the narratives and the excuses are already kind of coming out of Team Warren, but let me finish up telling you these numbers. Um, After Warren, we've got Amy Klobuchar with 4,334, and then Tom Steyer, and then Tulsi Gabbard got six. Just just worth mentioning. (laughs) But as it breaks down, as far as delegates are concerned, uh, Bernie Sanders gets 13, Biden gets two, Buttigieg gets one, and nobody else gets any delegates. So obviously coming out of this, Bernie Sanders is the big winner in pretty much every way you can possibly calculate being the big winner. So what does this mean? Um, Well, there's been quite a lot today of people basically losing their shit over this. And I can't say that I thoroughly blame them because after Bernie's very strong, almost, almost, almost win in Iowa, obviously he won easily in New Hampshire and obviously he won very, very easily in Nevada. Um, It looks like the Bernie train is kind of leaving the station and there's not a lot of chances to stop it before it ends in the DNC in July with him as the candidate. So yeah, Um, establishment Democrats are not happy because obviously they do not want Bernie as their candidate, but it's looking like, I mean, barring something crazy happening on Super Tuesday, I, I just, I don't see it. I mean, he already has a pretty hefty delegate lead. So I don't know. Um, South Carolina, that's kind of a toss-up. Like, I, given how well Biden did in Nevada, relatively speaking, I kind of have a little more hope for him going into South Carolina than I did before the Nevada caucus. Will he win South Carolina? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what the first Southern state does this year. (laughs) Um, I mean, I, I think it's now somewhat in the realm of possibility and Biden has really put all of his eggs in South Carolina to begin with. He views that as his firewall. He's really relying heavily on the black voters in the South, specifically South Carolina to give him a win so he can get some delegates so he can get back in this race. I don't know as a South Carolina would go for Bernie over Biden, 
we will find out next week. Um, but yeah, these results were just kind of surprising to me. And like I said, when I was doing my recap, I expected Buttigieg to come in second and then maybe Biden to come in third. So I expected those to be a little bit flip-flopped. And the closeness of those two vote tallies in Nevada, I think lends credence to the idea that if some of these candidates were to drop out, and I still maintain that nobody's dropping out before Super Tuesday. I mean, especially since it's barely a week away. Yeah, I, I don't see it. But if some of these candidates were to drop out and their supporters went to someone like Biden or Buttigieg, there would be a chance of slowing Bernie down. But I don't see it happening. So I don't know. I mean, it's I it, I don't want to say it's a foregone conclusion, but it's looking pretty damn probable that Bernie Sanders is going to be the Democratic nominee for president in 2020. <sighs> Why did I get into covering politics again? Why do I do this to myself? Although I did say, and maybe I spoke this into the universe, and if so, I apologize profusely, that I did really want to see a Bernie Donald general primary debate because it's just going to be two old white men from New York shouting at each other. And it's going to be funny. Like, it's going to make for great comedy. It's going to absolutely suck to live in America during this and to live under the presidency of either a first-term Bernie Sanders or a second-term Donald Trump, it's going to be pure shit. But, hey, at least we can get some material out of it. Maybe. I mean, there's content to be had. Looking for the bright side, people. But the people who are really kind of losing their shit over this, because this is kind of an event horizon for the never-Trump crowd. Now, their plan always was that in order to get rid of Trump, they are going to vote for the Democratic candidate. Don't I don't get me started on the stupidity of this idea. Do not get me started on the idea of trying to throw in your lot with people who either at best don't give a fuck about you and at worst despise you with every fiber of their being. I don't get it. I don't understand why they don't go third party. I don't understand why they become don't become non-voters. I don't know. I am baffled by the whole concept of being so mad at Trump that you're going to vote for a Democrat. But the premise seems to have been, or at least the conceit, was that Democrats would nominate somebody like Biden, like a centrist Democratic candidate that you could vote for in somewhat good conscience if your choices are this person and Trump. I would even say maybe if the candidate was Buttigieg, they could get behind Buttigieg because, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have the problems with Buttigieg that a lot of people have. I mean, do I love all his policies? No. Would I take a neoliberal over a socialist? Hell yeah. Any damn day of the week. I will deal with the neolibs. I don't have issues with the neolibs. I don't agree with everything on them on policy, but at least there are some areas of common ground between neoliberals and libertarians that there could be some good to be had from something closer to like a neoliberal libertarian sort of coalition to get certain things done, especially along the lines of like criminal justice reform, immigration, drug legalization, things like that. Like, 
zoning, regulations, everything like that, neoliberals tend to agree with libertarians. And so I would take that any day of the week over somebody who has called themselves a socialist. However, because I am a smart person and I don't make stupid deals with the devil, I didn't put myself in a position of being a conservative who swore up and down that they would vote for the Democrat and are now increasingly looking like that person is going to be Bernie Sanders. And so, yeah, there's a lot of gnashing of teeth and wailing and ripping of sleeves over this kind of obvious sort of assumption that Bernie is going to be the Democratic nominee. Because now, now you're going to have to put up or shut up. Are you really going to vote for Bernie Sanders? Or are you going to sell out and vote for Trump? Because these people, like I said, they will not vote third party. They will not not vote. They will vote for the Democrat or the Republican. And so now, now that it's it's becoming abundantly obvious that they're not going to get that easy choice that they thought they were going to get, who Lord, uh, never Trumpers are having a very, very bad day today. Very, very bad. And so you're already seeing the thought pieces come out. And I'm sure we'll see more over the next couple of days about how the Democrats need to do something to stop this, which... Again, why did you ever think that the Democratic base gave two fucks about what y'all wanted? Like, they, they have repeatedly told the Never Trump crowd, we don't care what you want. We're not going to make this easy for you. This is not about you. This is not catered to you. We don't care about you. We don't care about your votes. We don't care if you align with us. We don't give a fuck about you. And now it's kind of finally starting to sink in to the Never Trump crowd that they meant it when they said it, that they they weren't kidding. They're not going to, like, compromise to get these people's votes. And it should have been abundantly obvious this whole time. But now now they're going to have this dilemma of what do you do? Like, do you do you really, really just nut up and vote for Bernie Sanders Or do you lay down, vote for Trump, and look like the biggest cucks on the planet? And I don't use that word lightly, but my God, if you spend four years complaining about how you hate Trump and you will vote for anybody but Trump, and then you eventually have to lie down and vote for Trump, like just retire from whatever punditry you do. Like you look like a total fucking jackass if you do that. And they know that. So <laughs> it's kind of funny to watch. It's it's sad for them, but it's it's funny for me. And again, it makes for great content because now you get to watch these people kind of deal with the the kind of fear and existential dread that is going to come with a Bernie Sanders candidacy. And This is also for the DNC, too, because this is the last thing they wanted. And I wonder if they're starting to understand how the RNC felt when it started becoming abundantly obvious that Trump was going to be the nominee. And they're just like, oh, shit. There goes our party. (laughs) This is the end of everything that we have spent decades building. And there's still rumors of a brokered convention and whether somebody would have the guts to do what the RNC didn't have the guts to do in 2016, which is to try 
to force someone else in as candidate to stop Bernie Sanders? I don't think they would. I mean, that would, first of all, immediately, immediately you just lost to Trump. Second of all, you start an internecine war that will never, ever, ever end. Sanders fans, progressives will never forgive the DNC for doing something like that. And that might actually, if the DNC actually did something like that, would be the impetus for progressives to form their own third party or to more actively support the DSA or whatever that would end up looking like. But you would see these people leave the the Democratic Party, kind of like you saw people who supported Ron Paul leave the Republican Party over much of the same bullshit. It's just it's watching history repeat itself all over again. And it's just like when you're somebody who's already been through this once and you kind of already know how this is going to end. You kind of sit back and watch it and you're just like, we warned you, we tried to tell you, we we tried to tell you and you didn't listen because you thought it was going to be different this time. Guess what? It's not. So, oh, this is going to be such a mess. But like I said, we have South Carolina on Saturday and then Super Tuesday and then There's still a couple of more rounds of primaries after Super Tuesday, but I think Super Tuesday, pretty much like it does every election season, is going to determine who the presumptive nominee is. And it's really, I mean, I I put nothing past anything anymore. Like after, after 2015, 2016, I, I thoroughly believe that anything could happen at any given moment in an election cycle. So maybe, who knows? But I, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. I'm, I'm thinking we're going to get candidate Bernie Sanders versus President Trump. <sighs> I think we probably deserve this kind of. But as a libertarian, it, it, you already know this is going to suck. So at least, at least there's the cold comfort of knowing that whatever happens, you're going to hate the next four years anyway. So we can just go ahead and start making our peace with that now. Kind of the same way when we figured out that it was going to be Hillary versus Donald. It's like, okay, no matter what, we're going to be like, thanks, I hate it. So we could just go ahead and start accepting that now and working on ways to try to do better in the future and maybe start reaching out to people who are slowly starting to realize on both sides of the political spectrum that um, the two-party system sucks. And maybe we should do something about that. Like maybe support third parties. Hey, how you doing? Um, But anyway, moving on from that to a couple of other things that happened this week. And we'll go ahead and start with Bloomberg, which we didn't have a lot of time for there to be extensive polling between the last Democratic debate and the Nevada caucus. I mean, that was Thursday. The caucus was Saturday. But the one poll that I did see come out did show Bloomberg's favorables drop rather drastically. Everybody else kind of stayed flat, which was somewhat surprising. But over the past week, we did get more of that steady drip of oppo research on Bloomberg, where we got sound bites on, let's see here, because there were so many. And I guess this, this news cycle just moves so fast that you don't have time to focus on any one thing. So this week, we had Bloomberg admitting that old people will get shafted under public health care, which, duh. But, I mean, there's, there's the admitting that, you know, 
if it comes down to it, if, if grandma has pancreatic cancer, then, you know, maybe grandma's had a long life. You know, maybe we should spend that money on someone younger, more productive, you know. Like the kind of decisions that you know were going to be made under public health care, but, you know, people like to not, not say that part out loud. Let's see. Bloomberg also thinks that farming is easy, that you can just teach anyone to put seeds in the ground and then stuff grows, which that's not how farming works. Let's see. He said that the New York Civil Liberties Union were a bunch of extremists for opposing stop and frisk. Um, he called transgender people it's. And he also made the point that we need to, at some point in the future, come up with ways of either extending the age or pushing back the age eligibility or winding down how much we pay out in Social Security and Medicare, which, again, is true, but nobody wants to hear that. So (laughs) whether any of this stuff is sticking to Bloomberg, I don't know. His name wasn't on the Nevada caucus, so there was no voting for him. I don't think he's on the South Carolina ballot either. So we're probably not going to see any voting on Bloomberg until Super Tuesday, which, okay, at this point, I'm not entirely sure what that's going to do, aside from help to split what is left of the vote of people who are not voting for Bernie. Who knows? Maybe I, I don't know. He's still spending a shit ton of money on ads, though. I think he dropped, I think I saw it was another $200 million. And I, I don't know if that's on top of his already $415 million that he spent. But this man is spending a lot of money. Like, a lot of money. His own money. Which makes me wonder, really, like, what is in this for him? Like, why is he running in the first place? Especially since... All throughout the lead up, before he even announced he was running, he said he wasn't wasn't going to run because he didn't want to have to go on this silly apology tour and do this, that, and the other. And then all of a sudden he's running and he's spending shit tons of his own money on this. I'm just like, what is he planning on getting out of this? Because, I mean, it's pretty obvious he's not going to be the nominee or unless... Unless something happens, unless somebody forces him through that door, I don't think he's going to be the nominee. So really, what? I've got questions. I've got questions about the Bloomberg candidacy that will probably never be answered because I'm, I'm, why is he here? It, It fascinates me. But anyway, so that's Bloomberg's week. I mean, what? I mean, there's not really going to be much to talk about. I mean, he'll be in the debate on Tuesday. So we'll see how he looks after this past debate. Let's see if he does better. Let's see if he kind of finds his stride a little more. See if he makes more of an impact going into Super Tuesday. Everything's kind of up in the air right now. And I'm just, oh my God, this Tuesday debate is going to be a hot mess. A hot mess. Probably even hotter than the last one. But speaking of hot messes and narratives coming out of Nevada, um, even in the lead up to Nevada, and especially probably now afterwards, Team Warren has crafted this sort of attack on the media, which, stay with me here, people, because this is some bullshit right here. Somehow, they've concocted this idea that the media is erasing Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, the media. The people who put her on in the first place, the people who convinced her to run, the people who have given her so much airtime, so much free press, so much time in these debates, 
is somehow working to silence Elizabeth Warren and erase her from the conversation. I, I... The, the thing I think that annoys me the most about the Elizabeth Warren candidacy is just the straight fucking two-facedness of it. Just the straight cynicism and just saying whatever it is that you think you need to say in order to make it through the day or through the week. And a point that I had forgotten when I was doing my debate recap, but I remembered afterwards, is given how nasty Elizabeth Warren went in that debate, it was two weeks earlier that she was telling the field, oh, you know, we shouldn't attack each other. We shouldn't engage in this. We should be, we, we, we should be trying to help each other out and lift each other up. And then she just goes and takes a flamethrower to everybody on the stage. It's like, how, how two-faced can you be? Like, it just, it's wild. And now, now you're wanting to pretend like the people who put you on are somehow like erasing you. Like, come on now, come the hell on. No, the whole reason that the media has somewhat moved on from Elizabeth Warren, and I say somewhat, because Obviously, she still has plenty of supporters in the media. It's, there's other storylines right now. I mean, you have Bloomberg to talk about. You had Pete Buttigieg winning in Iowa. And you had Pete Buttigieg coming in second in New Hampshire, which is not anything anybody expected to see. You had Amy Klobuchar coming in third in New Hampshire. You have these other candidates who are doing more noteworthy things than Elizabeth Warren, who just keeps on kind of languishing around in fourth and fifth place. Like, what, would you Would you like them to do stories about that? Would you like them to do whole, long, 600-word pieces or 6,000-word pieces about how your candidacy is sinking like a rock? <laughs> I mean, if I was Team Warren, I would just assume they not talk about me right now because there's nothing good to say. Like, there's just nothing good to say about the Elizabeth Warren campaign right now. But, you know, they're not talking about it, which that might be a thing in and of itself that they're not talking about it. Like, maybe they're trying to do you a favor by not talking about it. But so now the media is the enemy. And Bernie Sanders' campaign is trying to make the media be the enemy. And it's like, you can already see the media is going to be the punching bag here. In 2020, obviously Trump attacks the media all the damn time. Bernie Sanders is probably going to do the same thing if he's candidate. He's going to attack them for not covering him the way he wants to be covered. Like apparently he just had some kind of meltdown with the people from NBC about how they're covering his campaign. It's just like <laughs> the media doesn't owe anybody anything. They don't like you don't get to tell them how to cover your campaign. Like, they don't owe you shit. So, this, the, the presumptuousness of even going down that road and saying the media is being very unfair to me is, first of all, just... Uh, I'm sorry, what? Do, do you think you own them? Do you think they're a part of your campaign? If so, can we talk about that? About why you feel like this is somehow an official arm of your campaign? That it is their job to promote you in a certain way? Because that's a problem. Just a little bit. I mean, the media has already trashed their reputation enough, but it's a whole other thing for candidates to be like, you know what, you need to be covering me better. Like, what? Fuck off. 
<laughs> this is not your newsroom. This is not your opinion page. You do not get to dictate what goes on it. So anyway, that is that. Let's see. What else do we want to talk about? Oh, um, Trump did the, the, the pardons and the, the commutins. <laughs> I just made up a word. Um, kind of the most noteworthy one that came out of all this was Rod Blagojevich having his sentence commuted. And if you do not know who Blagojevich is, or you just weren't around in kind of 2008, or you just need a refresher course, he was the governor of Illinois who ended up getting impeached, removed from office, and convicted on charges of corruption, basically stemming from trying to sell who was then Senator, then President Obama's vacated Senate seat after President Obama became President Obama. Um, He ended up serving... It was a little over eight years of a 14-year sentence. So we did a bit over half. And so President Trump commuted his sentence. And so now Blagojevich is now free and on TV all over the place. And it started this conversation about criminal justice and commuting sentences and how long is too long of a sentence. And this kind of also dovetails with the Roger Stone case, which this past week he was convicted And he ended up getting 40 months in prison, which is a tick over three years. It's like three and a third years. And so a lot of people were looking at this sort of doing the the commuting of Blagojevich's sentence and then doing a couple of other things that this is kind of setting the stage for Trump to pardon Stone, possibly pardon Michael Flynn, possibly, possibly, possibly pardoning Paul Manafort, kind of like priming the pump for this. And so there's a lot of discussion going on about whether this is okay. I mean, obviously legally, yes, Trump can do this, but it's kind of not a great look because, I mean, this was somebody who was sent to prison for trying to sell a Senate seat. Like that's, there was some quid pro quo going on there. I, I believe, I believe Blagojevich's words were that he's going to need something of value in order to put somebody in that Senate seat. So it, it was kind of a bad look. And between that and, like I said, the Roger Stone sentencing, we've had a lot of discussion of sentencing guidelines and how much is too much and how much should one person do, how much should one person not do. Yeah. And for what it's worth, Stone's team is already advocating for another trial because of the jury forewoman in the original trial being a Hillary supporter and he feels like the judge was biased against him and they had problems with the venue. They did it in D.C. and Stone's people wanted it moved out of D.C. because they thought that it would be just too much bias in D.C. for him to get a fair verdict. So whether there will be another trial, I don't know. I'm kind of leaning towards no because it seems like the judge really isn't having this. So yeah, a bit of talk about sentencing this week, which is always a healthy discussion because it's one of those things we we talk about it a lot, especially in relationship to like drug charges and stuff like that. And a lot of the just ridiculous, excessive charges that come along with the drug possession, like simple drug possession, simple, simple distribution, stuff like that, that carry these ridiculous prison sentences for something that's a nonviolent offense. And so we always think about that, but these were also 
nonviolent offenses. I mean, Roger Stone didn't hurt anybody. Rob Blagojevich didn't hurt anybody. So what is the proper amount of time for somebody to spend in prison for something that is illegal but not violent? And whether that is something that you should be going to prison for in the first place or if it's something that you should be, say, on house arrest or probation or some other kind of monitoring. Always a healthy discussion. We'll see what ends up happening with the Roger Stone case. Um, People are trying to figure out if Trump does pardon Stone, would he do it before the election or after the election? I would vote for after the election. Although this is Trump we're talking about and he doesn't always necessarily do things in what would be the most optically sound timing. So what ends up happening there, it kind of remains to be seen. But that was a conversation that kind of popped up this week that I thought was interesting. Just because, like I said, it's it's always good to discuss, especially like mandatory minimums and sentencing guidelines and whether people's sentencing actually really fits the crime that they are accused of committing or convicted of committing. So, yeah, that was a fun discussion. And let's see, what else? Um, There was one story at the beginning of this week, and I was kind of wondering if I even wanted to bring this up, but I think it's kind of relevant, if for nothing else, than to try to kind of give an idea of the current environment right now online in the democratic race, in the progressive movement. And that is the story of the sock account that actually wasn't a sock account. For those of you who don't know what a sock account is, let me try to explain. Um, On social media, like obviously you can post as yourself. Um, There are people who post anonymously, which anon accounts are something else entirely. A sock account is like Remember when Mitt Romney had Pierre Delecto as his kind of alt account? That's a sock account. It's an account that's run by somebody who is pretending to be somebody else, like kind of like having a sock puppet on your hand. So that that's where the name comes from. I don't name these things, people. But it's the idea that you have this kind of fake account, for lack of a better term, and you go around posting under this, this fake name, but it's like somebody else. Like, obviously, Mitt Romney's name is not Pierre Delecto. So there was a rumor started that somebody in Pete's communication department, Pete Buttigieg, had this sock account that was supposed to be a Nigerian who was a big Pete Buttigieg supporter. And so it kind of, it took off, like, almost immediately of people just kind of latching onto this and being like, oh my god, the, somebody in Buddha Judge's comms department has a freaking sock account promoting him. Like stuff like that's considered kind of shitty to do. Like it's kind of like astroturfing in a way, not as as intense as doing like a full astroturf campaign, but it's considered kind of like shady shit to do. So this takes off amongst the team Bernie crowd. Everybody kind of piles onto this, and then eventually people start actually like digging into this and being like, okay, is this a sock account or is this an actual real life person? And as it turns out, and by the way, this all happened in like the span of half of a day. Like this didn't take like a week to figure out. It took hours to figure out that this person was in fact a real person in Nigeria who was a Pete Buttigieg fan and was on Twitter. And people verified it by talking to this person, by having them send pictures of themselves with like, a newspaper from that day, like, you know, the the ways that you prove somebody's identity online. And so 
and this happens. And then, <laughs> oh, the walk back was rather interesting from certain people in Team Bernie. But I, I point out that because during the debate, it was made mention of, like I mentioned, between Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders, this idea of Bernie Sanders supporters being these incredibly toxic, mean people on the internet who are just savage, vicious people, which they can be. Let's keep it real. But I think this story, although it's just a stupid kind of throwaway story, it's indicative of kind of where the discourse is at, that so many people were willing to just automatically believe this story that was just easily debunked. Like, it didn't take a lot to be like, okay, no, this is a real person. This isn't a sock account. But by then, like, people had already run with it because they wanted to believe it. It, it confirmed their biases against Pete Buttigieg. And I think this is something that we're all going to have to be extremely careful of going forward this year is that people just retweeting, liking, jumping on to these sorts of stories that aren't true. But I mean, by the time you spread them around, I mean, this this went like super duper wide. Like it was really, the whole thing was kind of ridiculous, to be honest. But yeah, it's just another one to add to the pile of people just running with unverified information and then having it debunked, but then not really wanting to have the egg on their face to walk it back. So again, it's just another warning to just when you see things on social media, especially things like that, that just seem like really ridiculous and far out there and just kind of too good to be truish, like take a moment and, and think about it for a second. And it may be like, you don't have to be the first person to retweet something or you don't have to be the first person to comment. Like, maybe just let it chill for a little while and see if this is a story that actually pans out before you go and amplify it versus just amplifying something and then all of a sudden you have to walk it back because now you look stupid because you just spread around fake news. So just be careful out there in the Mennonite Streets fam. So I think that pretty much sums up everything from this week. I'm not looking forward to next week. I We've got another Dem debate, which I don't... Who who scheduled these? I think the DNC hates us. I, I just And plus, just the timing. Like, I'm not understanding why we need to have two debates within a week of each other. Like, this makes no damn sense. And then we'll have South Carolina. And so both of those will happen before the next weekly roundup. So obviously, Democratic debate will get its own episode as always. And then... Next Sunday slash Monday, we will discuss what happens in South Carolina. I I can't call it. I mean, I I don't know. I'm I'm really curious to see, especially what Biden does. Maybe he will win. And then what does that mean? I don't know. And I oof. and what if Sanders wins? Then then is this train officially like left the station? Like, will there then be no stopping Bernie Sanders from being the nominee? Well, I guess we'll just have to tune in next week to find out. So, as always, if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care, and until next time.